This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Equity Mike! I will say this about investing. Everything you do is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, hey there, you blue suede shoes, investors, and hound dogs of Wall Street. Welcome to another toe-tap and hip-shaking episode of Equity Mates. But we're more than that, we're just a little less conversation and a whole lot more investing. Whether you're just starting off and feeling all shook up or you're so good you've got money, honey, we're here to help you follow that dream from your first buck to big-time dividends. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce, and I'm very impressed. That was that was your best uh, chat GPT rewritten intro to date. Okay. Uh, you've taken our traditional introduction and uh, given it a chat GPT once over. Yes. This time, I'm going to guess the theme was... Elvis. Yes, yeah. correct. The king. I think people, you will have either blown speakers when you, <laughs> su- <laughs> you sung the hound dog uh, or uh, people would have quite enjoyed it. So uh, let us know which camp you fall into. But this is an exciting episode. We've just come off a CEO interview as part of our Uncovered series. And what an interesting niche company we've been exposed to. That's it, Ren. We've just come off an interview with the CEO of Imricor, Steve Whedon. Now, as you said, this is part of our Uncovered series where we bring to life the stories of some of the small cap companies listed on the ASX because there are many out there that have an interesting story to tell and are really doing fascinating things but often don't get the coverage they deserve. So we're on a mission to bring those businesses to the forefront. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and honestly, just scratch our own itch as well, because this is what we love about investing, learning about groups of people working on really hard problems or, you know, uh, inventing new technology. And, you know, the great thing is that we as investors have the opportunity to invest in all of these businesses. But even like, it's just, it's beyond investing. It's just interest. It's like, you know, we, uh, in this one, it's about, you know, new health tech and, and where the world is going there. But every Every field of work, of interest, there are listed companies that are working on new ways of doing things and we want to learn about them. Yeah. So, this is a business that is, uh, as you said, in, in, uh, in health tech, Ren, doing some pretty amazing things with uh, MRI and uh, related to, what are they called? Uh, fl- heart, yeah. heart fluctuations, not fluctuations. Uh, I'm not going to come in here. Yeah. 
ablations. We, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, we go. Uh, look, Ablation. Steve does a far better job of us than explaining <laughs> it. So um, we're, let's not uh, try and get into it. But essentially, for people with irregular heartbeats that need treatment, there's a few options. Uh, one of them is to shock the heart or burn the heart. We'll get. You'll hear more about that in the episode. And Steve believes the current state-of-the-art imaging uh, modality to do it is subpar and he is trying to bring a new way of doing it to the fore. Yeah. Now, if this episode isn't enough, we do have some written content and a company page for Imricor on our website. Just head there and you'll find more information as well as uh, any other content that we do ongoing from here related to Imricor. As well, if there is a company that you'd like us to try and speak to and get their CEO or management on as part of our Uncovered series, please hit us up at contact at equitymates.com. But Bryce, uh, one thing before we get to it, we've got to remind everyone that this is not a buy, hold or sell recommendation. Uh, Uncovered is our exploration of stories of fascinating companies uh, and that's all that it it is. It's the start of a research process if you are interested. Uh, Any advice that you hear on this podcast is only general. We are licensed, but we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. So with that said... Let's get to our interview with Steve Whedon as part of our Uncovered series for Imricor Medical Systems, ASX ticker IMR. Steve, welcome to Uncovered by Equity, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're really excited to unpack Imricor today. It's um, it's an interesting uh, company, one that we uh, had to do a little bit of uh, research to get our heads around. We're not uh, doctors, so um, we want to start there. We want to start really uh, getting our heads around the problem that you're trying to solve and where Imricor can play a role in the healthcare system. So to do that, let's start with irregular heartbeats. So tell us, I guess, what they are, when they, when they can be a problem, and importantly for this discussion, how they're treated today. Sure, sure. So, you know, your heart's driven by electrical signals. And there's one spot, for instance, on the top right side of your heart that's supposed to uh, initiate heartbeats. And it does that by sparking uh, an electrical wave that goes through the top of your heart and down to the bottom of your heart. And that wave passes through your heart. Uh, It squeezes and pumps out blood to the rest of your body. But sometimes there are certain spots in other areas, in particular uh, up in the top of the heart, that start to also fire spontaneously. And that's like Uh, you're supposed to be dropping one pebble into a bathtub and you get a nice wave that goes through the bathtub. But now if you drop another pebble somewhere else, those waves start to interfere and that chaotic electrical activity makes the heart quiver instead of pumping efficiently. And and that's called fibrillation. There's there's other problems as we get old that uh, you get certain scars or dead areas of of your heart. And when those uh, form next to each other, they can they can create little channels of what we call slow conduction between those areas. And those areas can capture one of these electrical waves and then exit it uh, too soon, but also late enough for it to capture the heart a second time. And that creates a, a, a really fast rhythm in your heart or in the ventricle in particular called ventricular tachycardia. So, you know, if you've ever seen a TV show or, or, a, or a movie when they say, ah, the patient's gone into VTAC, get the defibrillators out and they shock them out. That's ventricular tachycardia. That's very dangerous. And if it turns into ventricular fibrillation, the patient uh, dies uh, very quickly. So what they do to treat those today is, is there's a couple of things. You can use drug therapy to treat these things, or you can use something called catheter ablation. And in catheter ablation, you take a small tube, kind of like a straw, but it's got a probe on the end of it. And you feed that up in a minimally invasive way. 
up into the patient's heart and you selectively burn some of the heart tissue. You take one of those spontaneously generating areas and you just burn and kill that area. Or these little channels of slow conduction, you can, you can burn in those channels and, and, and destroy those areas. And when you destroy those problematic cells, the heart starts to beat regularly again and the patient is cured. So yeah, these are the things that we do for what we call cardiac arrhythmias. It, it's wild when you think about that's uh, that's how you treat irregular heartbeats. You just burn parts of the heart. <laughs> yes, it so, seems yeah. a bit counterintuitive. Yeah. <laughs> now, when cardiologists are doing these ablation procedures, they need to see what's going on in the heart and make sure that you know they're uh, as they're getting the catheter to the heart as well. Uh, and the I guess the the most common way uh, that cardiologists do that today is with a an imaging process called x-ray fluoroscopy. So for people unfamiliar, can you tell us what that is and then what are some of the issues or, or some of the drawbacks, I guess, with fluoroscopy? Sure. So so if you've been if you've been to the doctor, had your, your arm, you broke your arm, for instance, you're having an x-ray. That's a snapshot, an x-ray snapshot of, of uh, your arm. Uh, x-ray fluoroscopy is like a video x-ray machine. So you, you turn on the x-rays and you get a moving uh, video. But if you've ever seen an X-ray of, of, a, of a patient or a person's, uh, you know, abdomen, uh, you see bones and and some cloudy stuff, but you don't really see the structures of the soft tissues that are inside the patient. Well, X-ray fluoroscopy since the beginning of ablation procedures is the only imaging modality that's been available for them to guide these catheters inside the patient. You can clearly see where the catheters are, but otherwise you just see ribs and spine, and and, and that's it, and clouds, and so. With their imagination, it's just remarkable what they can do. They, they go up and they, they kind of know where their catheters are. And then they, they look at the electrical signals that they're measuring at these various spots. And you know, with a combination of those two things, they, they uh, determine if they're at one of those problem sites and that's the sp- spot to burn uh, or if they have to move to, to some other location. The trouble with x-ray, of course, is one, you can't see it like, like we were just talking about. You can't see that tissue that you're actually working on. Two, every time you push the pedal and you're seeing one of these live videos, you're bombarding yourself and the patient with ionizing radiation. And the third thing is, is that because of that, you as a physician or a medical personnel, you have to wear these lead gowns, which over the years of standing in these heavy lead garments all day, create uh, all kinds of orthopedic problems. And the last thing, and this is actually really important, when you burn, the trouble is you, you can burn and, and stun the tissue in a way that it's not conducting. So it looks like you've, you've gotten rid of that problematic spot. But sometimes those burns aren't temporary, just like when you burn yourself anywhere else on your body. Sometimes the patient goes home, that burn just heals, and that spot is, is now viable again, and the, the arrhythmia comes right back. And there's no way with x-ray technology that you can tell the difference between those temporary burns and those um, and those permanent ones. And I think one more uh, piece of important context before we get to your solution, these ablation procedures can take hours. So it's not like you're getting a, you know, a couple of hits of iodizing, iodizing radiation. You're in this room for hours. It's troubling. It's the only thing that, that uh, the medical community has available to them today to do these types of procedures, at least until now. And so they're, they're used to it. It's sort of commonplace, but it really is remarkable that they just stand in those uh, uh, irradiating fields uh, day in and day out. It's one thing for the patient. You get that one time or maybe two or three times, you know, in your whole life. Uh, but to be a doctor who stands in that field all day, every day, it's, uh, 
it's really troubling. Mm. Well, Steve, that leads us to what you've built today with an MRI-compatible ablation. So can you talk us through that solution? Sure. The whole idea was actually to do the exact same procedures that they do today with tools that are just like the tools they use today in a lab that looks very much like a lab that they use today, except we replace the X-ray fluoroscopy system with an MRI. And and that gives you all kinds of new benefits. But the trick to, to getting that to be uh, possible was to make devices that are compatible with MRI. And that itself is a is an electrical engineering technical challenge. And, and um, that's what we've solved here at Emercorp. Yeah. Now we'll get to sort of where the the product is, and you know it, it's in use in in Europe, and it's going through approvals uh, in Australia and the US. But before we get to the sort of product journey and the business behind Imricor, tell us, you know, pretend that Bryce and I are two buyers in a hospital, two cardiologists or something. Give us the pitch. Why why should we be uh, switching to MRI compatible ablation over X ray fluoroscopy? What's the what's the benefits? What's the drawbacks? Yeah, the simplest way to say it is that MRI, it lets, it lets you see what you're doing while you're doing it, and it lets you see what you've done after you've completed the, the procedure. So you can now see all the soft tissues of the heart while you're guiding your catheter in real time, in three dimensions, uh, inside the patient. You can find those areas, those, those areas of scar with the slow conduction, those are visible in MRI. So instead of painstakingly mapping around in the, in the heart and trying to find a location to burn, you can just see where you're supposed to go and you go right to that location and you, and you deliver your therapy. And then while you're doing that, you can take all of your, make all of your burns and then image again and check which of those burns are going to be temporary and which of those burns are going to be permanent. And if you've left some temporary ones, you can go back to those locations, fill those gaps and give the, the, the patient a first time procedure that replaces what might take two or three procedures done conventionally today. And all this time, you're not wearing lead. None of your none of your medical staff is wearing lead, uh, and there's no radiation for anybody involved. So it's um, it's super cool, and it's not a it's not a new idea. It actually, goes way back to the to the mid '90s, but. Uh, but it's just now making it into clinic. Now, Steve, we do some deep due diligence here at Uncovered by Equity Mates, and I uh, I reached out to a cardiologist friend of mine and asked him about this, uh, and he thought it was a really cool idea. His one question was around the cost of using an MRI in the hospital compared to X-rays, uh, and I guess the the idea of tying up an MRI for a couple of hours. How do you think about that, and how do you sort of when when you get that asked that by hospital buyers? How do you sort of talk them through it? Yeah, so one of the main paradigm shifts is that we don't want to bring our EP or, or ablation procedures into the MRI. We want to bring the MRI into the ablation procedures. And that's a little bit of a different context. So it's not like the cardiologist would be renting time from a diagnostic MRI scanner that they use for scanning knees and brains and, and spines and so forth. Instead, we take their EP lab, their ablation lab, where they, where they work every day, and we replace that X-ray fluoroscopy with MRI. So now it's there available for them whenever they're doing procedures. But MRI is more expensive than, than X-ray fluoroscopy. So it's, there, there's an additional cost, but there's a big benefit to having that lab now that the cardiologist owns that's, that's in yeah, his or her control. And that is that when you're not doing a procedure today in your conventional X-ray lab, there's nothing else to do in there. You, you close the door, turn off the lights, and it sits vacant. But in an MRI, what we call ICMR lab or interventional cardiac magnetic resonance, that lab, when you're not doing procedures, either in the morning or in the late afternoon or on certain days, for instance, 
it's still a diagnostic MRI. So you can image people's hearts or spines or knees or brains, whatever you'd like in that same lab, which allows you in the hospital to generate revenue in that footprint inside the hospital way that you can't in a conventional lab. So it's a bigger upfront investment, not a lot, not as much as people think, but then it pays itself off down the road because you can do that additional scanning and keep that thing generating revenue for your hospital. So Steve, we love a founding story here at Uncovered. So we're going to jump into the business today and the product development and approval process. But before we do, can you tell us how you came across this idea and what has been the founding story of Imricor to date? Yeah, sure. So it's a long story. I won't bore you with the whole thing. <laughs> a version. I, was in my late, <laughs> I was in my late 30s. I was helping one of the pacemaker companies here in Minneapolis. I, I came with, with an MRI background. I designed uh, MRI systems as an electrical engineer since I got out of school. And I was helping one of the pacemaker companies here in, in Minneapolis make their pacemakers compatible with MRI. At that time, there were three known hazards um, for, for pacemaker patients who had uh, uh, gotten an MRI and had some, some problems. I looked at, at five, I think, case reports of um, deaths associated with people who had pacemakers and got an, an MRI and unfortunately uh, passed away in that scan. And a few of them didn't, uh, weren't described well by the hazards that were known. So I had a different idea. This is where I'll make the long story short. I went out to Johns Hopkins University and proved what is now the fourth known hazard of devices like this inside of an MRI. And we won the Young Investigators Award that year at the Heart Rhythm Society. It was, it was a big success. Uh, and now, um, you know, that hazard is one that everybody's paying attention to as they make devices, implantable devices or whatever for, for MRI. Uh, at that time, then the doctors at Johns Hopkins just approached me and said, hey, we're working. I was an independent consultant. So they said, hey, we're working on some other projects. Uh, and Imercore was one of those projects. And they had been working for a decade at that point, already showing uh, in various uh, animal studies and research programs, what the benefits of doing a procedure like an ablation in an MRI could be, uh, but they just couldn't make the devices MRI compatible. So I just figured, heck, all I got to do is just make some MRI compatible ablation catheters and, and we'll be set. And that was uh, got, what got us started. And uh, it's been a great ride ever since. But what we learned pretty quickly is because you're doing a whole procedure in MRI, every single thing that's in that procedure now has to be MR compatible. You can't just make one catheter. You have to make the four or five different types of catheters that they use. You have to make the thing you plug the catheters into MR compatible. You have to have partnerships with the MRI um, companies themselves to connect to their MR scanners so you can use those devices to track your devices on and on and on. And that was a big challenge, but it's also a big benefit uh, for us as a business because now as we change an x-ray fluoroscopy ablation lab into an ICMR ablation lab, we capture 100% of the consumable revenue from that lab. You can't mix and match our stuff with anyone else's stuff because everything's got to be MR compatible. And it allows us to control and fine tune the, the whole procedure in a way that's that's not possible today when all these devices have to work from different places. So it's, um, it's been a long ride. It's been about 16, 17 years now. Um, but it's, uh, it's really been worthwhile work. And, and the team here that we have at Imricor is, is so dedicated, so passionate about what we're doing because this is the kind of thing that you do one time in your career. This is a big, big change and, um, and it's exciting to be part of it. 
Yeah. Nice. I love that. I love that passion that we can hear. Yeah. So you, you mentioned it's been a long ride and, um, you know, we, we often hear from CEOs of medical device companies and sort of pharmaceutical companies about the product development process and then the approval process. And especially if you're looking to get approvals in key markets, Europe, US, Australia. So tell us about that journey and the approvals process that you've gone through and, and that you're currently going through. Sure. So we started our, our, um, uh, clinical work in Europe. And, and not because, uh, frankly, and people often think this is the case, we didn't go to Europe because the FDA in the US is, is so scary and, and difficult. We went there because at the same time I was starting this company and, and uh, I was and am a US appointed expert on some international standards committees for uh, compatibility of devices with MRI and for MRI safety itself. And uh, the FDA asked me if, if Imercore would be interested in doing what's called a cooperative research and development agreement, a CRADA with them. And uh, that was a five-year program to work on the, the math and the modeling and the testing that would be required to show that anything's MR compatible. And I thought, that's a great idea. Let's do that with the agency, but let's not be regulated industry at the same time. So we did this research in the U.S. with the FDA, and we went to Europe to do our first clinical work. And that led to our first clinical trials, which led to our first commercialization um, so our products are commercial in Europe, just at first for the simple ablation procedures of, of atrial flutter, and now we'll expand to the more complex ablation procedures like atrial fibrillation and ventricular tachycardia, which is really where MR is going to add uh, the big value. But you've got to start simple and build from there when you're making a big change like this. Uh, and at the same time, we're beginning our FDA trials here in the United States. We're beginning a VT trial in Europe. We are at the very uh, uh, end process of TGA approval in Australia. We are um, submitting our CE mark package for approval in the Middle East. We're really doing um, you know, all the things that, that uh, fulfill our mission, which is to change a standard of care, not just in the United States, not just in Europe, but worldwide. And, and um, we're right on the cusp of so many exciting things along that line. Now, you IPO'd in 2019, I believe, and... I guess the question is why list on the Australian market where you had opportunity in Europe, you had opportunity in the US, much bigger markets, why list over here? And I guess thank you for doing so. Yeah, we're not, we're not complaining. <laughs> yeah, we need more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's one of those serendipity type of things. It, I was, uh, we just finished our clinical trial. We were what I would consider a, a, a pretty... Um, Minnesotan company. We were quiet. We didn't tell everyone about all the grand things we expected to do. We just put our heads down, went to work, came up with a solution. And then when we popped our heads up and said, hey, by the way, we've done a clinical trial. We've got uh, um, devices that are safe for human use. We've, we've done the ablations. It all works. Uh, all the things that were scary before are no longer scary and are solved problems. We got a tremendous influx of, of attention from physicians. I said, okay, well, now I can't raise, you know, one or $2 million at a time from individual uh, investors and so forth. So we're going to have to go look for bigger money. And I was looking at venture capital at the time uh, when I got an email that the ASX was coming through with the roadshow. They went to the Bay Area. They came here to Minneapolis and they went to Boston. These are the big med tech hubs in the United States. And they were actively recruiting medical device companies, essentially at our stage, to list on the ASX. The whole thing was called something like, uh, see if a, an IPO in the ASX is an alternative to your Series C or D venture capital round. I thought this is clearly a little too far-fetched, but you know, it was Friday afternoon, so I ran up and I, and I listened <laughs> to that. And 
about nine months later, after uh, talking with, with investment bankers and with a couple companies here in the Twin Cities that had already done this, they decided that was, that was the best path forward for us. And we're really pleased with, with how it's worked out. The pandemic has gotten in our way a bit, but other than that, it's been really a great ride. I love that. We often talk about how we think the ASX has a lot more opportunity to you know, get international companies. So it's great to see that they're you know, out there pitching Australia as a, as a hub of capital. Um, so you mentioned uh, you've got regulatory approval in Europe. So I think for people looking at Imricor and thinking about what the opportunity could be as you get approvals in other markets, Europe's a great case study to, to look at. So uh, tell us about the business development in Europe to date. Um, what's the take-up of the devices been? What's been the response from doctors and healthcare networks? Yeah, give us a bit of a sense of what's going on in the ground over there. So we've got... Again, an issue of, of timing. I, unfortunately, we got our CE mark and launched our products about a month before all of our hospital customers shut down for the pandemic. So we, we had all this momentum of new sites that had, some of them had purchased their ICMR lab uh, even before we had approval, just in anticipation of, of our approvals coming. It was, uh, it was really great. Uh, with COVID, it, everything shut down for a few years. And um, nobody was doing these types of ablation procedures throughout the, the pandemic. They were just uh, medically, you know, uh, with, with drug therapy, uh, handling their patients as best they could through the pandemic. So we went from a sales perspective, sort of on hold. What we did do, though, during that pandemic is we continued to develop all the additional tools that we needed to go from those first simple ablation procedures to the more complex, like atrial fibrillation and ventricular tachycardia like we talked about. And we did that and that's all done now, which is great because we're pretty much where we are now is where we wanted to be prior to the pandemic and, and we haven't lost too much time. But we did have to, uh, on the back end of the pandemic, sort of relaunch our, our products. And that's the process that we've been in doing this, this particular year. So we're getting sites that had signed with us even before COVID. Uh, we're getting them activated now. They're starting to do procedures and, and we're moving forward. The one little thing that's 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 really been tripping us up for the last six months is that there are fewer atrial flutter patients. And that's our first indication in Europe now after the pandemic than there were before the pandemic. And, and it, it was a curious thing. We couldn't figure out that all the doctors are saying there's just no one's presenting with atrial flutter. They're presenting with atrial flutter plus atrial fibrillation. And now, of course, we're not quite ready for that yet until we do our clinical trials. I think this is a short-lived thing, but um, some doctors I've talked to believe that it's just the, the fact that these folks didn't get their atrial flutter taken care of during the pandemic means that now it's progressed into something more complex. Um, so for now, we are we're just building the momentum and building the, the procedure volume across Europe. At the same time, we're, we're still moving forward at full speed in the US, Australia, Middle East, and, and so forth. So really importantly, expanding that ventricular tachycardia because while atrial flutter is the place to start, ventricular tachycardia is where we really change the game. Now, Steve, as from an investment point of view, it's important we understand the competitive landscape and uh, your competitive advantages. Are there other competitors out there? And is anyone trying to copy you now that I, you know, you've, you've publicly shown the success of what you've been able to do? One of the interesting things, start and move backwards, start at the end of that and move backwards. It's when we started this, we were the last ones to try this. Uh, all the big companies around me, every and a lot of little companies had tried, failed, and, and went out of business. So the patent landscape was full of, of crazy things. Some seemed like pretty good ideas, some really science fiction stuff. 
but nobody had the right solution. Everyone was looking at it just a little bit wrong. And I won't bore you with, with, with what all of that was. Um, but because it was so full, we, we believe we've come up with really the only viable technical solution for making these catheters safe, which makes it really hard for someone to copy us. So hard that even when I was still a private business, I licensed these technologies, these patents to three implant companies to make their implanted leads MR compatible using our technology. And we generated um, uh, $13 million of revenue through those licenses. And you can bet every time someone's going to license something for millions and millions of dollars, they're first going to say to their engineers, here are the patents that we are about to license. Please copy these and find a way around this. <laughs> so we have to pay. And, and they did every time because it's, it's, it's rock solid uh, IP. It's, it's forward looking, it's, it's preventative. So there's a, there's a significant barrier to entry. And when you're in the MR, there's no competition for us. When, once you move to that ICMR lab, it's, it's only about Immercore. But the whole field itself of ablation with conventional uh, x-ray fluoroscopy, that's a, that's a big market. It's an it's a 8 billion US dollar worldwide market. So big players like Abbott and Johnson & Johnson and Medtronic and Boston Scientific, they all play in this field. But they all play in the same space and we are creating new space. And our goal is to replace all of these x-ray labs with MR labs and slowly take over this entire uh, industry with the new standard of care. I love that. Now, uh, Steve, one more question about the business today, and then we want to turn to the future and what the business could be. Um, but with all uh, companies in the product development stage, we've got to ask about financials and, and funding. So where are you in your funding journey? How much runway do you have Will you need to raise again when you look at your balance sheet and think about what you need to achieve? Uh, how are you how are you thinking about it all? Sure. So it's it's been a little frustrating since the end of the pandemic. To, to be honest, it's um you know our investors said, hey, uh, lean into the to the uh, spending, lean into developing all those products, get where you need Immercore to be in 2022 and 2023, and we did that. Um, but on the back end of the pandemic, when markets reacted uh, in the way that they have. Uh, if you look back at, at, at our um, our CDI prices, uh, you know we've we've lost a tremendous amount of value. And at the same time, we've lost all that value at market cap. We have taken all of the risk of those two, three years away. So the the end value proposition for Immacore is exactly the same as it was um, when we were two three hundred million dollar company. And now, um, with all of that risk removed, right on the cusp of doing our first ventricular tachycardia. Uh, procedure in literally in the coming days now. Uh, it's frustrating that it's it's difficult to raise money at, at such low valuations. So we've we've been trying to do something yeah more clever. We've engaged with some local governments to do the expansion of our manufacturing into different areas that uh, where they're looking for uh, economic development. And in North Dakota, the state of North Dakota, which is ne right next to us here in in Minnesota, is one of those uh, governments that has some funds dedicated to that. So we've used those. We just got a grant, for instance, a couple uh, weeks ago uh, for a million dollars, over a million dollars US to help offset the cost of our FDA trials. And, and so we've done things like that. We've also secured a $30 million Australian dollar, what we call securities subscription facility. And that's essentially a fund, an investment fund that has reserved $30 million dollars which we can draw on in equity investments. It's not a loan, equity investments, a little bit as a time, at a time as we move forward. 
And the idea is that as we move forward, we draw small bits, continue making progress, get some of these milestones, see the price um, go up and draw more bits later and more bits and more bits. And in this way, minimize dilution for our existing shareholders. So that's that's our backstop, um, but we will continue and we have been continuing to look at a less the least dilutive way for us to, to fund the business moving forward, even as of course our revenue starts to grow now as well. So be- between, between all that, we've got a good path forward, but um, we're not looking right now at, for instance, doing a, a placement on the ASX to, to um, fund the business. Yeah, it's interesting. You're not the first small cap CEO that we've spoken to that is in the same situation of getting money on in uh, late 2020 and investors saying go hard and then we're all in this situation of going hard and then needing to raise again. It's an interesting environment. But Steve, let's turn to the future. Beyond the MRI guided ablation we focused on earlier in the discussion, help us understand the potential future applications for this technology and really how big can Imricor get? Even just in ablation, Imricor can get quite big. It, I mean, is just a percentage of an $8 billion worldwide market. We can be a, a very substantial company. But I've always said that anytime a doctor comes to me and says, Steve, if we could see what we're doing while we're doing one of these minimally invasive interventions, and we could use MRI to do that, uh, we could do a better job for our patients. We want to be the company that makes those devices. Our next device after outside of ablation is actually for doing an, a cardiac biopsy. This is where you want to take a small sample of tissue from inside the heart at a specific location. And because again, an x-ray, you can't see what that location is. Uh, it's, it's nearly impossible. You just you poke around and you, know, you hope you get lucky. With MRI, you can clearly see where you want to go. You get to that location and you take your sample. There's a tremendous demand from doctors for, for us to do that. And, and that's the very next thing. In fact, we've made prototypes. We've done some, some early studies and we're getting ready to, um, to launch that product development. But it goes on and on from renal denervation to oncology, but anytime, heart valve delivery systems, on and on and on. Anytime seeing the tissue can help you do a better job, we, we want to be the company that makes those devices for you. And so that's that's where the future can go. And how big of a company that can be is, um, well, it's up to your imagination, but it's it's something that makes me quite excited. It, it always like removed the business and the investment case from this and just it, it was always so inspiring for me and in some ways reassuring, I guess, when we speak to CEOs of health tech companies that there are people and out there working on all these like, you know, yeah. cutting edge, innovative new technologies. It always just reassures me that like the standard we'll of care in decades to come is going to be so much better and yeah. To quote Bryce, we'll be sweet. <laughs> Future of medicine. Yeah. <laughs> but Steve, if you if you think about Imricor, let's say five, maybe 10 years into the future, what would success look like for you for Imricor? Well, I always say that in 10 years, people are going to look back and say, look, of course we do these interventional procedures in MRI. We can see what we're doing. We can see what we've done. It's, it's clearly the only real way we should have ever been doing this. It, it makes perfect sense. It's so obvious. And that will be um, one of the most rewarding spots to be at because, you know, when you're, uh, you got to rewind 17 years now, nobody thought it was possible. Some people thought it would, you know, explode and kill the patient. All sorts of crazy uh, fears were out there. And, you know, we just applied sound engineering and sound clinical practices to 
growing something different than than was out there already. And I think it's uh, undoubtedly going to be the way these are all done uh, in the future. So that's that's what I say. I say 10 years from now, everyone's going to be on board. Going, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, what we call Monday morning quarterbacking, where you just uh, you talk about what, 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 of course, that game was going to go that way. That's uh, that's where I think we're going. And it's uh, it's an exciting place to be for us right now. Awesome, Steve. Well, that brings us to the end of today's discussion. We thank you so much for your time. We love understanding more about companies that often don't get enough coverage by some of the analysts here in Australia. So we appreciate you unpacking the journey of Imracor and, and certainly wish you all the best with with the future of of, uh, of the business. It's Whilst it's a niche area, it's certainly one that is, is of uh, great importance. So thank you very much. No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Any opportunity to get to talk to folks about what we're doing, and and uh, I get that it's it, it's a bit obscure, um, it, especially when you're younger, but it's very very common when you get older, and it's uh, uh, it's something unfortunately it's going to impact all of our lives. And I'm hoping that what we're doing here is something special, and and makes uh, healthcare better for everybody. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you, Steve. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Today's episode is proudly supported by Vanguard Super. Now, as you know, here at Equitymates, we hate fees. And after just over a year in market, Vanguard Super have lowered their fees. Their award-winning life cycle option now has one of the lowest fees on the market, more than 30% lower than industry average. With a yearly fee of just 0.56%, which bundles administration fees, investment fees, and transaction costs, that's only $280 on a balance of $50,000. Extend your investment success with Vanguard to your superannuation. Head to vanguard.com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super rating smart data as at 31 one March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super PTYLTD is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. Hey, Ohio, have you heard the buzz? Slingers Signature Cocktails are the new go-to to go. Slingers are convenient canned cocktail-inspired flavored beverages that bring you delicious flavors like Bahama Mama, Peach Screwdriver, and Pineapple Punch with 8% ABV. They pack a punch at a price you can't beat. No time to make fancy cocktails? Don't want to break the bank on a night out? Slingers has you covered. Blast your taste buds, not your wallet. Grab Slingers today. American Fermentation Company, Boston, Massachusetts. Please drink responsibly. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl! 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 